This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 214 for Monday, January 3rd, 2011. Space Tourism. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Hi, Pamela. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Fraser. How are you doing? I'm doing great. All right. Well, let's let's get right into it. So have you ever wanted to go to space, but lacked the, uh, I don't know, everything to be an astronaut? <laughs> A whole new industry of space tourism will take you where you need to go. There are now companies offering zero-G flights, suborbital flights, and there have even been paying customers who've gone into orbit. Is this going to be space travel for the rest of us? Let's hope so. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I clearly lack the everything to be an astronaut. Not that I tried very hard. I don't know. Did you try to be an astronaut? I, I thought about it very hard and actually thought about going to the Air Force Academy for college. And there is an aspect of me that somewhere in college discovered that physics problem sets and salsa and nacho chips are the perfect combination in life. Mm-hmm. And so that whole eight minute mile thing has been left so far behind. My horse right. can do it. And right, I can right. stay on my horse doing it. Right. And that right. I call that good. Yeah. I mean, astronauts are just such physical, mental, social specimens of human perfection. It's yeah. just like hard to compete. <laughs> you know, get your PhD and then get another one and then go be an Air Force test pilot and then run, as you say, a eight minute mile and then and then be on volunteer. Uh, it's crazy. Anyway, so yeah. but now, you know, if you got money uh, then you'll be able to go to space. And that's what the whole space tourism industry is about. But I think beyond that as well is is the hope that as paying customers come for space tourism activities, it's going to drive down the costs of spaceflight across the board and make it more and more available. I mean, it's that same argument used with, with air travel, right? Right. And it looks like we might actually be at the point that it's possible. Now, with airplanes, there's a nice advantage that someone could go out in their barn and build a barnstormer and grab the neighborhood grandma and throw her in the back of the airplane and storm a barn. And got um, it. You got a paying customer right. and you're, you know, you've started up your plane tourism Company. Go land in some farmer's pasture and charge all the neighborhood kids a nickel. Mm-hmm. It, it's been inflated since then. Yes. Spacecraft, there's that whole throwing up at zero G part that requires a certain amount of preparation that you don't need for barnstorming. <laughs> Both in terms of training or in terms of, you know, the equipment required, you know, to get you into space. It, it's it's all of the above. You You have to be able to cope with the physical stresses at least emotionally cope with the physical stresses, which requires an amount of training that going up in an aircraft doesn't necessarily require. 
I think that we're going to reach the point in the not too distant future that you don't require any actual training beyond what you get in the exit row of any commercial airline flight of, okay, in a case of emergency, do you agree to lift this lever, pull the door out and not block the exit from other people? We will get there with spacecraft, but it's still, it's a much more demanding thing. Uh, Stephen Hawking has proven with the zero G flight that it's not necessarily physical stress, but you need to be prepared for what you're going to experience. Right. So let's take a look at the sort of spectrum of space tourism opportunities that there are right now, and then where this might go in, in the future. Now, we talked about Stephen Hawking's zero G flight. So what's going on with this? So there's a neat company, Space Adventures, that runs zero gravity, basically go up in an airplane, drop radically, go up in an airplane, drop radically. Uh, It's the chance to experience free fall, which feels like having no gravitational pull on your body for a few seconds, roughly half a minute at a time. Right. This is the this is the vomit comet, though, right? It's got another name. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Right. It is the vomit comet. Right, right. And these airplanes, they take this par- parabolic parabolic flight path. And so as they reach the top of the parabola and then start to head back down, or I guess as they go up into the parabola then and start to, you know, you as the person inside the plane keep moving up and it's almost like it feels like you're weightless, but you really, I guess you've got the inertia of the plane as you went up or the momentum of the plane as you went up and then that makes you feel like you're flying inside the plane as you right. come back down and you're and you're weightless and you can do spins and fly through the air for as you say a few seconds and then and then you have to do the other half of the parabola where <laughs> right. right where the plane is 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 sort of going back down and then you feel double gravity and then and then you do the the opposite again yeah, you, you suffer in both directions. Uh, you, you get accelerated upwards, you get accelerated downwards, and it's only at that peak, only for that brief period at the peak of the parabola that you get to enjoy yourself. And even then, there is a great deal of, well, for lack of a better term, puking involved. Yeah, yeah I mean, if you like that kind of thing, I do not. <laughs> uh, you know, we went to, we went to uh, uh, the Tower of Terror at... Uh, Disney World. And that's what it is, right? I mean, the tower yeah. drops out, you fall. That feeling is the zero G. So yeah. that, but more, I guess. Yes. But, <laughs> but, but you can do this. And, and like there are listeners, I'll bet you there are listeners listening right now who have done this. And, you know, it's the type of thing that it is cost non-prohibitive. Uh, for one of these flights, it's $2,500. And I know people that have gotten the chance to do zero-G experiments through different high school and university-level science competitions where you pitch an idea and NASA or some other agency pays for you to fly on one of the many vomit comets and uh, run your experiment while suffering or Mm -hmm. enjoying yourself or both suffering and enjoying yourself. Now, beyond just doing a zero-G flight, you can also do training. Again, this is one of you know space adventures. We're really going to be pushing space adventures. They they are not a sponsor of Astronomy Cast in any way. They but, just do uh, cool stuff. They just do a bunch of really cool stuff. So we'll be talking about them. But uh, you know, you can train. I know you can train at Star City in in yeah. Russia. And not only can you train in Star City, but they are also the agency that has teamed up with the the Soviet space program to get 
they don't like to be called space tourists, but to allow the very rich to train alongside the astronauts for a large sum of money and go into space for upwards of 10 days. Right. But it, but it's not just, I mean, I mean, that's where it's $20 million and you get to go right. up into space and be at the International Space Station. But I know that there are packages that you can go and, and learn, you know. Yeah, you can spend a couple thousand dollars to go to something that's much more advanced than the adult space camp programs that we have here in the United States. The U.S. space camp program, it, I, I went to it growing up and it's a great program but you're not using all of the actual simulators. You're not going through all the rigors. It, it's really a let's go to camp and learn a whole lot, but there's a lot of pretend. What it's not you a do, real centrifuge that you're going in. No, they do do that. Oh, they do? Okay. Yeah, but the the space shuttle simulators, for instance, that you're in, are a couple generations below <laughs> what the actual astronauts use. So it's a really good simulation. It's a whole lot of fun. It's a worthwhile educational experience, but it's only a few days. Whereas the experience you go through with space adventures, you're training side by side with the actual astronauts and the actual astronaut training equipment, going through all the same rigors, all the same, here's how you do this, that, and the other thing with a whole lot less make-believe involved. Yeah. Yeah, I know that would be that would be pretty amazing. And and you can also then go and fly on like MIG fighter jets, things like that. So you can experience some pretty tremendous forces on your body, but you're not actually flying out out into space. Right. Now now then, you know, the X Prize was sort of leading up to this, which is one of these these ideas this is Peter Diamandis's idea that, you know, that that regular commercial companies should be able to send people today into, you know, into a suborbital flight, and I guess eventually into an orbital flight. And it, it was, in fact, the family of one of these um, personal astronauts, one of the not-called space tourists who went up on board the, the space station with the Soviets, who funded the X Prize at Space Shift One, the Anisari X Prize. And that was to go twice up into suborbit and come back down safely in a very brief span of time. And that positive experience will hopefully lead to positive experiences for many more wealthy individuals coming in the future. Yeah, and you know, that feels so long ago, but it was 2004 <laughs> yes. was when the X Prize was won, right? And the goal here was was a private company had to build a spacecraft capable of taking a, a team of three above 100 kilometers altitude and then back down to Earth and then do it again within a week. And in 2004, that prize was won by Burt Rutan's company, uh, Scaled Composites, and and took the, was it a $10 million prize? Yeah. Which was amazing, and that was like, that like six years ago, seven years ago now, (laughs) you know, it does seem like forever, but that led into Virgin Galactic, uh, created by, um, Richard Branson from, from Virgin Enterprises. And with all of these different projects, the, the goal is to eventually get things down to the price that normal human beings can afford. 
right now with Spaceship Two, it looks like they are going to, in the next few years, it's hard to nail down exactly what year it is and it's a moving target, but they're doing the test flights. They have the spacecraft slash aircraft. They're moving forward and they will be taking people up into suborbit where they'll get to experience a few minutes up above the atmosphere before they come back down. They're going to be launching out of Spaceport America, it looks like. This is moving forward and people are putting down $20,000 deposits on a $200,000 ticket. And they've had over 400 people sign up so far. So so that's that's a real business. I mean, you know, those are all the pioneers, but after those 400 have had a chance to fly and people have seen that they haven't died yet, uh, <laughs> other people are going to sign on and, and, and eventually the costs are going to come down and there's going to be competing companies. You know what it's like on a cruise ship, right? There's cruise, competing cruise ship companies. Eventually they'll be competing. So this is how this whole thing is supposed to work. And the technologies that are developed for the space tourism for the rockets and, you know, eventually someone's going to use them to build, you know, use them for more commercial purposes and, and boom, we're exploring the solar system. Well, and what's interesting is watching the way the different technologies are evolving because NASA is slowly getting itself out of building spacecraft and getting itself into the habit of, well, hiring other people to reach towards goals that have both NASA uh, purposes in mind, as well as the development of a fully-fledged commercial spaceflight program here in America. We have NASA spent money to basically invest in Blue Origin, in SpaceX, in Bigelow. And what's interesting is watching how all these different companies are partnering together in different ways. Bigelow is, is personally my favorite one to watch. They're a company that is aiming to build space stations. And they already have unmanned orbiting balloon space containers happily going around and around the planet filled with random stuff. They had this mm-hmm. really neat uh, thing where they let people launch stuff inside one of their blow-up capsules. And um, they have cameras, and you can watch your stuff float past. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great way to 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 make some of the the money back, right? On the on, as they're doing their testing, it's a way to you know do some advertising inside the 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 space station. No, Bigelow is is really exciting. Again, none of these companies are sponsors of Astronomy Cast <laughs> right, at no. all. But we're going to no. rave about them anyway. Right now, um, we're we're sponsored by Swinburne, and I uh, just adore the ingenuity of so many of these companies. And Bigelow is is focusing on. Uh, taking an old NASA idea of basically building blow up, not explode, but like balloon blow up uh, space stations that can be built out of a bunch of different modules that start small, bloat big, and give you a whole lot of space to play in. And this is a really neat model. And they're now partnered with Boeing on some crew capsule ideas. They are booked on a SpaceX launch that looks like it's aimed for 2013 or 2014. They are slowly but surely making steady progress on actually building a commercial space hotel on orbit. Yeah, I mean, again, this is we're way beyond the you know the imagination stage. Bigelow has has built 
prototype stations, these inflatable habitat modules, has launched them into orbit and and has sort of tracked their progress and done all their tests and stuff. And And you can imagine the next stages where they're going to be connecting them together and actually having people live up in them. So, so you know, Bigelow is really moving forward. A lot of these pieces are all coming together a lot. In some cases, it feels like it's slower than I was expecting, but then in other cases, <laughs> yeah. it's coming a lot faster, right? Well, the, the frustrating thing is everyone from NASA to Bigelow to, except for SpaceX, the frustration they're looking at is how do we get the people into space? And that's where companies like SpaceX are looking so promising. But right now, they're the closest to having a human-ready launch vehicle that we have. Uh, I suspect that they could chew something out fairly quickly if push came to shove, but no one wants to have push come to shove with manned spaceflight. Now, isn't that sort of part of the plan, though? I mean, yeah. is definitely to make the the Falcon, the SpaceX launch vehicle man human human capable at some point it, it's currently cheese capable i i love the fact that they launched a thing of cheese because uh, it's a, a big wheel of cheese is about the right. weight of human being right if you can bring a wheel of cheese back to earth safely <laughs> you know then you're on your way so yeah spacex is definitely planning that but one space company it has the capacity to do what nasa's been doing but we want to do so much more. We want to get to the point that there's a couple launches a week all carrying people back and forth from low Earth orbit and hopefully eventually to uh, high Earth orbit in the moon and beyond. So we need to get more companies out there. And that's one of the things that NASA is working to do is they're seeding funds out to, well, Boeing, to Blue Origin, to Bigelow, to all these different companies to try and find all the different ways that we can explore getting people out exploring our solar system. So do you think that there's been some kind of fundamental shift at NASA over the last few years to to take a lot of this a lot more seriously? I think the failure for the Orion program to move smoothly and steadily forward and be embraced was an eye-opener. It was kind of envisioned NASA would chew forward, chew forward, chew forward. We'd have this heavy lift, low lift, human lift trio of rockets that would go to the moon, Earth orbit, and Mars. They had the logos. They had the models. They just didn't have the launch vehicles. And when that program got so far behind budget, so far behind schedule, and pretty much got canceled, it was time to sit back and say, okay, we need to rethink how to use NASA's money wisely. The amount of money going to science is getting cut. And I've heard that some NASA centers, some NASA organizations are having anywhere from a repeat of the 2010 budget, which wasn't that bad, to cuts that take them back to 2008 budget levels or even worse. And when you have your budgets getting cut and we have big launches like Juno and the Mars uh, Curiosity Laboratory and all these big projects getting added on top of current programs, that's not the time to be designing human spaceflight rockets. That's the most expensive thing you can be doing. So partnering with commercial agencies that are going to make this profitable, NASA's proven it can't make it profitable, and that's okay. 
now we look to SpaceX. And I really think if anyone can make space profitable, it's Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. So, so do you think then that, you know, like I know that Peter Diamandis, you know, the SpaceX people, space adventures, they're all counting on space tourism as being the way that takes us into, into being a human, you know, spacefaring society. Do, do you think that that's, that that's going to pan out? Is that, will that follow the same way that, that the air industry worked with the tourism being the, the thin edge of the wedge that then turned into a, a more robust industry? I'm just not sure. One of the things I look at is when you watch airplanes getting loaded at the airport, there's always that big old pallet of shipping stuff. There's the big old pallet of mail. And when you look around the airport, it's sure United Delta American Airlines, which is what I fly with. Just to plug. Not, I don't know why they don't not sponsor us. A sponsor. Either. Yeah. No, I just call us. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. So all these different airlines, they're carrying cargo. Then you look out and you see FedEx and the big brown planes, the big white planes, all of the air cargo planes. And I know my husband and I are slowly destroying the environment one Amazon box at a time. Air cargo is a pretty major driver in filling up aircrafts when seats aren't there. And what I'm wondering is, what is going to be the equivalent of cargo when it comes to space flight? Right. If if it's helium three off the moon, or whether it's going to be mining asteroids for their gold and other precious resources, is that going to be the thing that really gets it all rolling? Right. Yeah. So it's it's there's this next piece that we need to find that goes beyond just tourism business travel is the vital underpinning of passenger flights astronauts will be the minority those going up to do research as near as anyone can tell so this is one of those things that i know there's going to be some sort of a solution something i haven't thought of and mining has been what every science fiction writer has always written about so it's going to be interesting to see what in the next 10 years haven't we thought of that becomes the real reason that that spaceflight for commercial purposes becomes necessary and cheap. So what are going to be some milestones in the space tourism industry that are going to happen over the next couple of years? I mean, you know, we try not to date the show. We're talking about <laughs> this in early 2011. So what are some of the plans, the things that people should keep their, you know, their eyes out for over the next coming years? I, I think the three big things in my head are going to be Spaceship Two going into study flight. When 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 are they expecting to do their first flights? They keep moving the date. So <laughs> since 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 we try not to be timely, I'm refusing to state a date because they keep moving. In the future, from when we record this episode, <laughs> they should be flying. Yes. So I, I think the the next big thing is going to be, and I'm not sure which one's going to get there first. Spaceship Two flying on a study, you go to Spaceport America, look at the boards and hop on your flight, <laughs> to SpaceX getting study launches of both astronauts to and fro from the ISS and cargo to and fro from everywhere it needs to go. 
those two things, I think, are the next big step, getting a commercial space agency handling the day-to-day long haul of the telecommunications research and, well, NASA needs. Then the next thing after that, I really think is going to be Bigelow's Hotel. Right. I mean, I've heard his plan has plans to launch them as early as like 2012. And... Not for the humans, but it looks like the 2013 launch will have life support on board. I don't know when and if they're planning to try and put humans inside of it, but it will have that capacity. So yeah. it's it's a 2013 aim. It's currently on the docket for 2014 unless more spacecraft become available. It sucks that that's the thing holding us back is how fast can SpaceX produce spacecraft right now. I can just imagine how things are are there that they got so much resistance and skepticism about building their rocket and getting things going. And now everyone's complaining that they're not getting it all done (laughs) fast enough. Where are your rockets? Come on. So, yeah, I I feel bad for them. But all right. And so uh, let me ask you a question, Pamela. Would you go into space? Would you take a Virgin Galactic flight, shuttleboard flight now? So so the reason I'm being squeamish is because the last time I went skiing at Taos, I got really bad altitude sickness. Now, admittedly, there was a lot of up and down from 5,000 feet involved, and that's just never good. But uh, if I knew I wouldn't have altitude sickness issues in a heartbeat. I'm really? Yeah. not a fan of puking. Yeah. I don't know. I would be pretty scared, I got to say. I would be pretty scared to do it. I'm See, not a big fan kids. of. Oh, and, and I'm no, but I, but I'm also just not a big fan. I'm a total coward when it comes to <laughs> falling. <laughs> when it, I, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of heights, just afraid of falling. So, so I think uh, you know I don't like doing those those like Tower of Terror, those free fall type rides. See, I love but, them. Love them. All. See, I I talked to Story Musgrave. I was interviewing him one time. He's a you know one of the most flyingest uh, space shuttle astronauts ever. And I asked him, like, do you enjoy launching into space? And he's like, not at all. <laughs> I did not like it. It's a, it's a very terrifying feeling. Very, you know, very anxious. And it's only when you're up and there that you can kind of relax. But while it's happening, you just, you feel really awful and scared the whole way up. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's a hard thing. I'm not, I'm definitely not a risk taker on that. You know, I'm not the yeah. kind of person who, so I, it would be really hard for me to, to, <laughs> step on a flight you know for for a little while see i jump horses <laughs> so. yeah i don't know so i think you know 10 years down the road everything's been fine you know and there's lots of good simulators i could work my way up to it maybe i would do it but i definitely i don't think i would do it out of so so you know if, if branson is wondering whether she'd give me and pamela free flights as a promotion you, you know you can wait try somebody else first <laughs> I'd take it if you would take it. I, Family would take it. Right, right, right. Okay. Of I just need lots of Dramamine. <laughs> right. Okay. But uh, yeah. So there you go. All right. Well, thanks, Pamela. Okay. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> bye bye. This has been Astronomy Cast, a weekly facts based journey through the cosmos. Show notes and transcripts for every episode are available on our website. Check it out at astronomycast.com. You can send us any comments, questions, or feedback to info at astronomycast.com. We read every email. The show is a nonprofit educational resource provided by Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. We're supported through the kind donations of listeners like you. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. 
Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. taxpayers. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend it to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Music is provided by Travis Searle. The show was edited by Preston Gibson. Astronomy Cast is produced at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville with generous support from Universe Today.